You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews with experts on the latest and most important issues in human rights and international humanitarian law. We're broadcasting from the Rao Wallenberg Institute in Lewin, Sweden. I'm Gabriel Stein. This week, we're in the middle of the Baltic Sea on the small island of Gotland in Sweden, where every year there is a political gathering called Almedalen. The week-long event draws thousands from the political classes, different universities, civil society actors, and the business world. And we're here to listen, learn, and talk about the issues that matter most to us. We'll be releasing a series of interviews during the week. Today's episode is with Thomas Frostberry. He's an editor at Sweden's largest newspaper, Dagens Nyheter, and he runs a section called DN Global Utveckling, or DN Global Development. And this section focuses its reporting on all aspects related to the Global Goal 17 of the UN Sustainability Goals. This goal covers revitalizing the global partnership for sustainable development. Enjoy. I'd like to know a bit more about the background of uh, Dagens Nyheter's Global Global Utveckling and uh, what in English you would call the global global development section, I guess. Yeah. Um, how did how did they get going? I did attend the um, the meeting in in New York uh, about two years ago when when the UN and the, all the countries adopted the the 17 goals. And even as a journalist, you can sometimes be actually a bit engaged and feel like, oh wow, this is really a potential positive change. And uh, to me, with a background as well as business report, I also saw the role that is pointed out in in, in goal 17 uh, to bring in business, to bring in other sectors, and also to bring in civil society. So I went to the editor-in-chief of Dagens uh, Nyheter, Peter Wolodarski, that I know before, and, and um, basically uh, discussed with him the possibility to... to do something that would bring the actors together. It's not our job as journalists to, 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 to move the agenda forward, but realizing that the agenda has a core element of, of bringing different sectors together and that today don't really work together or don't even share the same language and knowledge, so that's the role we can take to, to, to get them better educated and, and fit to, to work with, with the SDGs. How would you say it's kind of different than your run-of-the-mill section of a newspaper? So one thing that's interesting when you start working with this is like the the whole idea with with the seventy goals is actually that you link areas that are normally not linked, and and try to bring not just actors but actually looking at how education can do something that benefits health, etc. So the same when if you look at the traditional newsroom, how it's organized, it is you have the reporters covering politics, and you have other reporters covering business, and others covering science, and you can go on like that. It, it's pretty much silos uh, for good and bad reasons so so if we want to cover the SDGs and and, and, and how the work is being conducted and, and even across sectors with different actors coming in we also need to think differently and, and that was part of the the idea to to create what I call a virtual newsroom that breaks the silos of, of the traditional newsroom and, and experiment and see what type of stories would come out of a different way of, of doing uh, media coverage of, of, of the implementation of the goals. What is there any, what's your favorite story you've done so far? So one of, of my favorite stories and one of those that have been most sh- read and shared is actually that we, we wrote a piece to try to explain um, the, the sort of complicated choices you have to do sometimes. And, and um, 
many of us probably look at when we buy cucumbers in, in the grocery store why they often are always come in, in wrapped in plastic and think like I, I want to be living a sustainable life I don't want to buy my cucumber in plastic that that sounds weird and when you go and look into the research it actually shows that yes of course there is some negative impact of, of producing plastic but on the other side the food food waste goes down and, and then this uh, the cucumber lasts for several more days so uh, the food waste which is a big part when, when it comes to sustainable consumption so, so basically you, you do the, the calculation so the, the, the negative impact of the plastic is actually much smaller than the positive impact of, of, of uh, the cucumbers uh, surviving longer and, and possibly being eaten instead of thrown away and I think that's part of the core of, of it, it doesn't need to be more complicated than people so so we actually had the headline was something like plastic around the cucumber is actually a good thing and that took off quite <laughs> a good headline yeah <laughs> what uh what are you covering that other media outlets can't or or won't really so uh, you can answer that question i think in in a couple of different ways one is that we cover sectors that is normally not that well covered I, i'm especially thinking of the civil society that's also a core part of the implementation of the of the, uh, the global goals and if you look at new normal media coverage it, it, it's because it's often long development slow things etc it, it, it's uh, seldom making the, the sort of the headlines unless there's something bad going on and uh, the other thing is, is actually the the new role of of whether that's civil society or businesses, etc., and uh, how they work together. So also, if you look at traditional business coverage, yes, of course, we, we also focus on sustainable, uh, I mean, sustainability reporting, CSR, etc. But that's more keeping down the negative impact. These stories are more how companies can be part of creating some positive change, not just stop being bad, but actually start doing good. Mm. So good news. Good news, but but it's it's important to say it's not always that stories. I mean, things initiatives works, and we we, we try to. It's not that it's going to be a, 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 a just hallelujah reporting and, and saying everything is good. Um, it's important that that people that read our stories should learn something from them. So in in the way, if we can follow a project and and, and share both success and and failures along the way. Uh, making other people smarter maybe they other organizations don't need to repeat the same kind of mistakes they may probably make their own uh, along the way that is a good story to me as well what what type of methods are you using uh, that you wouldn't see in a traditional uh, newspaper or, or media outlet S- you you could say that we try to again go go and find stories where we we bring in the different sectors so if i would only do the media reporting on sustainability there are stories i wouldn't care about or, or shouldn't probably not care about because they wouldn't fit the pattern and the same goes for politics reporting and or, or science reporting so so that also means that we go to other events or we probably talk to other uh, people than than i would normally do as a business reporter or someone uh, as a uh, reporter covering politics so so that is to the core of of, of what we do uh, i would say mm-hmm. looking at, at places basically that that media is maybe normally not looking that much or or at least not the, the big media um, so you you normally as a reader left to niche media or special uh, magazines to to find the kind of stories mm-hmm. and and what would you say the reaction has been uh at the paper but also outside in, in the other mainstream media I would say overall positive, and of course we are doing something new and, and in, in some ways groundbreaking, so there are also some question marks that 
some stories may not fit the regular I mean what is typically a news item that we should go uh, top on the site but thanks to that we also have our own uh, Facebook page and Twitter channel etc we, we could also reach out with the stories and and test them and, and see and and of course some stories uh, probably only reaches a smaller uh, portion of, of, of the, the already uh, interested uh, where some others are taking off and, and you don't always know I mean you you, you try to to do it as much reach as broad as possible but sometimes you you get surprised uh, both good and bad surprises we're, we're sitting here in Visby uh, during Almadalen week and it's a beautiful day you can hear the waves people are, are on their bikes and walking by um, what you know I noticed when I was looking through the different subjects of all the different events that are happening there's not that many different subjects there's like you could clump them together maybe there's too many and I just haven't gotten through it all but what's um what's the story that people aren't talking about what what are the things that uh that's not being said is there anything that's getting missed that you think shouldn't be that should be on the agenda probably it's here like like in everyday politics and media coverage that we tend to have the ability to keep one or, or two or maybe three uh, different stories in in, uh, in our heads at the same time and, and, and follow them and that creates some kind of not just media logic but also in politics you, you fight about if, if it's education or healthcare etc the good thing though I would say even if you may not see that immediately when you try to scan the 4000 plus <laughs> events here is actually that even the, the, the sort of most niche or, or smallest organization are, I mean, most of them are here. They are hosting stuff. You have maybe to, to, to look a bit closer to find them. Uh, but I would say in a way and I'm, um, uh, that almost a pattern of, of what Almadalen is, is, is something that's similar to the sustainable development goals. So you could definitely find seminars on all the 17 goals here even though people that arranged the, the seminars would not even sometimes be aware of the <laughs> the goals uh, and, and their existence but you could say that Almadon the, the way it's constructed in a way <laughs> came before the goals and, and, and uh, is, is an interesting model that could be uh, inspiration for, for other events around the world on how to because we tend to many many people companies organizations are are sooner or later to start focusing like this is my favorite goal or this is the most important goal and and actually what's happening here that you can walk from um sort of the global arena where where a lot of, of civil society are talking about uh, how they work but there are also several uh, business seminars on on sdgs and sustainability and and it's within like a couple of minutes walking distance and it's ongoing for a week so do you think one problem is that it's too it can be become too compartmentalized and, and there's silos is that what you're saying when you're talking about the SDGs and, and bringing them all together um, I also think I mean the fact that, that no one here could really I mean it, it, it's not even possible to scan through the program of, of 4,000 events you will probably look for what you're already interested in and and what I would hope and, and this has been I mean it's not that many years ago it was only like 1500 or 2000 right. events so it's, it's uh, scaling very fast at some point you need a roadmap I think so so uh, unless you're just going to follow the, the events and, and uh, the things you already are, are interested in so if, if I would wish something for the future it, it would be a guide that's not just based on one specific topic not just going to health events or, or even smaller like e-health is, is a big thing this year like I would I would like to have something that's cross-cutting uh, in a sense what um what are some themes that you 
see popping up again and again in, in the work that you're doing uh, in your department, Douglas and Hedberg? So I, I see, and especially when we also look at, at the traffic, what people are reading is, is things that links to um, the role as a consumer, the daily choices you can make uh, that comes close to you. Uh, those stories are, are among those that you, you see are, are having uh, higher traffic or higher numbers. Um, I think that's natural. We Most people are aware that we have challenges we need to, to do something about, and few of us know actually how to make, make the choices. Uh, the other thing is that people are obviously looking for inspiration. So wh- when we do more profile, a bit feature stories, that's also something that, that many people read. And I think that they want to see role models that, that talk to them more or talk about how they, they try to change things. I'll slow up this question if you want to take a sip of coffee because I feel bad that yeah. coffee's getting cold. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the Swedes' coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's important. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we work with human rights uh, both in Sweden and, and around the world. Wh- what's the first thing that pops into your mind when, when you hear that term? So in, in the context that I'm working in, I think you see that a lot of companies are still not really linking human rights to, to part of their sustainability work. Uh, even though they are, I mean, if you talk child labor, etc., it's uh, more ev- obvious, but but that's always been around and they know that you, you risk uh, negative media publicity and so on. Uh, I think, and I, I start to see a, a movement towards where, where more and more uh, especially companies are thinking about other human rights aspects as well as a part of what they need to have on the agenda and if you don't fix those most fundamental things it may not help that you, you may have a good work on, on some environmental aspects uh, if you forget about the, I mean, working rights basically in, in the production if we talk very hands on um, you, you, you will only solve parts of it and, and, and link to the the agenda with the sustainability uh, goals it, it's then you're missing important parts why, why do you think that is that that human rights is kind of not being discussed to the extent that the green economy or sustainability is my guess and I or my let's call it a qualified guess is that uh, a lot of corporate uh, leaders are thinking about human rights as something that politicians deal with. I think you even can find some quotes on that theme that, that uh, around some uh, uh, companies have been doing <laughs> badly on the human rights side and like, well, well, human rights is for, for politicians. And, and that was one of the examples, I think, that the, one of the biggest mistakes in, in the Teleasonera scandal that they the board and the management group didn't really realize that human rights is actually part of the sustainability work. You can't exclude that or leave that to politics or so. Uh, but it, it has been. And and what I, I think at least we see a tendency towards is that, yes, at some point you have that same idea about the environment. Uh, many, many years ago though, so it is moving slowly. But I, I, I see that more company leaders are starting to realize that this is a sort of it must be an integrated part of it. Uh, but it's, it's been seen like something that others have to fix, and and you only do your part of, of whatever production or so you're doing in a country. Uh, I'm curious that that you've seen that also from your position. I mean, because we talk about that a lot in, in our work that you know. Um, companies are discussing one element of sustainability, but not not the uh, the one that we're focusing on so much. We we now focus on business and 
and human rights and also the environment and human rights and the impacts there and there's a lot of intersection um, but uh, yeah we definitely see going forward also that there's going to be a, a bigger push when it comes to human rights for companies I'm curious um, why did you become a journalist what, what was it oh <laughs> switching yeah switching uh, I I think it all started as a kid and, and uh, with, with uh, some of my cousins in, in a rainy summer in a summer cabin and we couldn't go out and we started to make up our own stories and make a, a newspaper and, and uh, I don't know if we were even teenagers uh, at that time. And, and that actually developed into something where we, we, we started to do some, uh, when I look back at it, pretty serious interviews with, with some authors and others that we were curious about and I realized I think this is a, the red thread like as a journalist you could reach out to almost anyone in the world and, and you can ask them questions and, and almost at least every time they will actually reply to your request for that and a few other roles where you can knock on a door to whether that's being being um, a, a president or if it's a, a local hero creating change in, in, in his or her community and, and it's amazing the stories you meet and, uh, and, and hear and, and, and the fascinating uh, people you, you, you get to talk to it's, I think that that's the core to me um, then often I, I end up realizing that, that having to write the story <laughs> is, is just some kind of necessary pain to tell it to, to others uh, so, so the meeting and, and, and the, the knowledge coming out of, of, of those meetings is, is the most uh, important thing for me and in the end, you still have to produce something, so that uh, yeah. Can I mean, of course, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's nice for me if I get a lot of stories told to me. But it, 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 if you don't share them, it, it it won't make a big effect. Uh, but I I see that definitely to, to to your question why I became a journalist that the, the possibility to do that and and the freedom of, of uh, going after topics that you you're interested in and, and dig deeper into things that you want to learn more about it's not often you you have that luxury in, in life yeah. Yeah. you get paid for it as well <laughs> that's nice still still <laughs> yeah you don't know in the media industry these days though um, you know from from where we're working uh, We've seen major advances in human rights in the past 25 years in, in a number of areas, but only in the past four or five years there's been some major steps backwards as well. And one of those is, you know, the shrinking space, what we call the shrinking space for uh, non uh, for NGOs, for the civil society sector, for journalists, uh, even now uh, academics and, and universities. Um, I'm, I'm wondering um, how things have changed um, being a journalist for you. Like, what's your sense of that in Sweden uh, since you began? And if you look not to trajectory until today. So one, one of the uh, the most obvious and most recent changes is, of, uh, of course, what's happening uh, not just in the U.S. with, with President Trump, uh, but in general that media is, is getting questioned in a way it has not been before. And I'm not saying... We should not be questioned. I think it's, it's it's a crucial part that you also question what media is doing. But the fact that you even if you publish your story, you have the facts right, you can also point to the facts, etc. Uh, a lot of the reactions coming back today, and this is really different to just a few years back, is like, well, I don't like those facts, or, or those are your facts, or, or other kind of... And 
it, it's almost impossible to meet. So, so how do you debate that? Uh, I mean, of course you can interpret and, and, and I mean, links to, to university, you know that even facts could be interpreted in different ways. But if you're completely resistant to, to any kind of relationship to facts, it, it's really hard. And, and when, when you're, as a journalist, being uh, challenged about your stories uh, based on that people don't, fine, don't believe me, but if you don't even believe research, don't believe obvious facts that could be proven, it, it's really hard. You, you don't really get anywhere with, with that debate. And combine that with social media, where the tone is often very hard. Uh, I know many colleagues that at some point just gave up and stopped, if not stopped doing the work as a journalist, at least stopped doing stuff online, uh, not sharing the stories in the same way. Uh, and that is, I mean, obviously different from the formal sort of censorship of a state, etc. So it, 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 it doesn't in, in a legal way impact your, your um, freedom of speech, but your, your practical or, or your possibility to actually use uh, all those freedoms, I, I think they are being limited. And it's not just for journalists, but, but politicians and others realize that don't get your head out there and, 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 uh, because the risk is too high. You, 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 um, it, it takes too much time and, and uh, so people are sort of retracting from, from the debate and what I see is that leads to, to a situation where we are now where you have often two very polarized groups and, and they are sort of forming the public debate whereas what I believe in many cases is that the, the majority somewhere in the middle between these two groups are, are just getting more and more silent. Interesting. Are you talking about that at DN um, a lot? Is that is that something that's on on uh, the daily? Uh, you know, in, in the middle of uh, of the, all the busyness, is that something that you have time to discuss? Of, of course, in, the, in the, the daily situation, there are so many things going on. So, so but I think every journalist uh, thinks about this, if not every day. So, so it's constantly around in a way, and and hopefully not affecting us too much on on the way that we don't publish things but you 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 may think in an extra time about oh should i really tweet this now do i do i have an hour or two to spend right now to which still has an sort of impact and and you also demanded to reply immediately and and you need to follow the, where the story is going uh, so uh, it's definitely around even if we may not discuss it all the time but it, it's there yeah, yeah i mean in the it can depress uh, you if you start to think about those developments. But at the same time, we're here, you know, and um, I'm from America. It still shocks me that you could just walk down the street and see political leaders out in the open, you know, and discussing and talking to each other. So um, you, you still do have a strong democracy um, and, uh, you know, the spirit to support that here, even though you have debates about whether or not Nazis should be allowed to be here, uh, etc. Right? Yeah, and and I think if, so. So Almadala in that uh, sense is also a, sort of an example of the good sides of, of it, and um, the fact that everyone is is actually able to, to speak up. And I, I don't uh, need to like your opinions, but but it's open. The situation with with, with the neo-Nazi party here this year is obviously an extreme point, and. Uh, it, it's hard to say what would be the right way to go because there is no easy solution to say whether they sh should or not should not be allowed. Uh, but it, it's 
um, I would say the, for people being here, 99% of what's going on is actually proving that there is a good climate for debate uh, based on, on sort of a, some kind of, of common ground on respect for, for other people and, and listening to other people's arguments, etc. And I think if if the rest of the year could work in the way that is at core that core of Almadalan, uh, it would actually help. Uh, here, people go and listen to seminars that uh, other political parties are, are organizing or, or meeting panels, and, and of course debating based on that to try to convince others to to follow them. But still, I, I feel a sense of, of respectful listening to to uh, what their opponents are are saying as well. Thomas, uh, have a good week and thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That interview was recorded from Almadalen, where we are all week doing uh, different interviews with experts on human rights, international humanitarian law, and other important issues. We were just speaking to Thomas Frostberry, an editor at Sweden's largest newspaper, Dagens Nyheter. We'll be back soon with another fresh episode of On Human Rights. Thanks for listening.